Uh, good morning. Good to see everybody. Everything good? Good over there, Preston, with that doll? You all right? Yeah. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> I read this study over the holidays, and I think it, I think it kind of recirculates uh, every few years. But it talks about the breaking point for people spending time with family. Like, how much time can you actually spend with family. And they said the average person can't last four hours with their family over the holidays, right? And I'm, I'm serious, like oh, four hours. You got, some of you are like, oh, yeah, that sounds about right. I was like, oh, that's a long time. But it's, <laughs> response, it's a respondent's an average of three hours and 54 minutes before they start to feel sick of their families, right? And, and so we can't even handle, like culturally, a lot of us right now, and, and, and you know, maybe you're in that place and maybe you're not, and, and maybe you go in and out depending on which side of the family. But, but the family can handle four hours. Like, it doesn't seem like very much. Like, holidays are this time we want to get together and we share meals and it's all about love. And, and, and the respondents would agree to that and they would say, yeah, I love them, but I love them, but I love being there, but I love this, spending that time, but I love the holidays with them, but. Which is a really fairly accurate way to describe love, really, amongst humankind. So, many of, so much of our love is I love. But, right, it's conditional. I love this person, I love this thing, I love this activity, but it's con conditional. I love you, but, right? Not I love your butt, maybe that too, but I love you, but, right? But a conditional love, a love that ebbs and flows, and, and our kind of love is, is very emotional driven, right? It's like how I'm feeling in that day. And that's okay to some extent, that's who we are. Uh, we're not perfect, right? We're, we're, we're growing into that. But, but God's love, and a love we're going to talk about this morning, is a deeper, it's a bigger love. Our love, while maybe it's limited and fickle, God's love is unlimited and faithful. And how do, we, how do we apply that into our lives? How do we bring that love in action? And as Jesus followers, we're, we're, we're not meant to draw from ourselves, right? Because that's, that's challenging. If I dig deep in myself, I'm not going to get very much good stuff out. But as Jesus followers, we draw from the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. So he's talking about this fruit of the Spirit, this outpouring, this production of the Spirit, it's not like, ah, if I could just muster it up, it's, it's something bigger and deeper. It's a gift of, of God. And the fruit of the Spirit describes the features of our lives when, when we're tapped in. And the fruit of the Spirit is probably familiar to many of us here. We've, we've heard it or learned about it in Sunday school, but it does feel like a good time to revisit it. Because when we're tapped in, these, this is what our life looks like. It, it's a calling in a way about how we should act and behave as Jesus followers. And we find this passage in Galatians. And Galatians is a letter in the, in the New Testament, and it's a letter to a region uh, of people. It's a, a number of communities. So, so Paul, this amazing missionary, had spent time in this, in this region. He had planted some churches, and, they, and they, some of them were connected, and some of them weren't. But he, he drafts this letter. He writes this letter, this general letter to all these communities. And these are places he'd been. These are places he'd love, he loved. And at this point in time, what's happening in the church to sort of set this, this up is the church at this point, when it began, it was very much kind of controlled by the, by the, by the Jewish disciples of Jesus, right? That's where it came from. Birthed out of Jerusalem, uh, you know, it's Peter and James. These are, these are Jewish guys, Jewish tradition, and they're, they're breaking from that. But what happened as the church expanded, they started bringing in all these non-Jewish non people. We're, just, we're jumping on board to Christianity, which is amazing. That's, that was the purpose of that. That was, a, that was the point. So you have all these kind of different people coming from different backgrounds and different practices, getting together in churches in this new, new, this new way of following Jesus. But what was happening was the Jewish Christians, and, and this is a, a kind of underlying narrative of a lot of Paul's work, the Jewish Christian leaders are, are pushing the non-Jewish leaders to adhere to certain practices. Say, hey, I know Paul said it's freedom in Christ, you don't have to do all these things, but you, know, you really you should still get circumcised. And can you imagine like, bringing that to a community of people who weren't? 
Like this is what's happening in eating practices. And so, so they're, they're pushing back on the freedom that Paul had preached in the Gospels in Jesus, being justified by faith, not by works. And this is kind of upsetting Paul, and he's passionate about it. And so he's, he's explaining, hey, people are not right with God because of what we do, but what Jesus has done. And so he's clarifying the true gospel is, is, uh, is, 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 the, is the objective of, the, of this letter, just making sure everyone knows what's going on. And to emphasize that God's family is, is multicultural, it's multi-ethnic, it doesn't belong to one people, right? So the Jewish leaders are kind of trying to take control again. This is how it should look. This is how, how, how we should behave. This is, this is how, this, how this works. But Christianity is not kept by laws, but by freedom. So this is a big part of, of, of this letter. It's breaking down all these, these rituals and, and habits and religiosity. It's, it's, it's freedom in Christ. However, however, yet, there are defining characteristics of God's people, right? We're not meant to just live however we want. Of Jesus' followers, there's things that tie us together. So Paul takes a bunch of the first part of the letter and talks about, hey, this is this, this, and this is not how you do it. But look, look to this way. This is how it should look. Focus on these things. And this largely is, is, is summarized in the fruit of the Spirit in this, in this Galatians 5 passage. A life in the Spirit, a new way to be human, really. And Paul contrasts, as we get into it, uh, the, the old way of humanity, a destructive, dehumanizing behaviors. And he lists some of this stuff. He just talks about jealousy and rage and idolatry and, and drunkenness and self-ambition. He says, you were once this. This is your old humanity. This is kind of what you're, what you're drawing from, from yourselves. But, but, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And this is the fruit that Jesus is, if we ask, well, Jesus one, we'll love God, love others. Okay, that's, that is the main deal. But let's flush that out a little bit. How, how does this look in my life? So the fruit of the Spirit is, is the fruit that Jesus desires being produced in his family. And as with anything that is good and worthy of, of, of reproducing, it, it takes work. Like growing fruit takes work, cultivation. It, it's, Paul talks about staying in step with the Spirit. We look at our garden out there. The garden takes work. The garden is like out of control. Why? Because no one's really working on it except Ed. Ed is single-handedly fighting back the darkness in the garden. <laughs> there is fruit in the garden. There are some oranges, and I have one right now. He's amazing. But you can't just let it be. And we've done work on it before, and it, and it produces, and there's flowers. But if you let it go, you step away, it, it, it deteriorates. It comes undone, such as with our life. It's hard. It takes work. I have three young citrus trees in my house. They're needy. I can't just let them be. They take time and money and commitment and, and labor and research, and it's hard. But then I get like two free limes every month, and it's like amazing. <laughs> you know, Jeff? <laughs> A bad example. But, you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard work getting, getting fruit growing, right? What, some of the things that, that, that help our environment, environment, where, when, for how long, around, what other things. I have plants in our garden and in our, in our yard that really struggled in one part. I've walked them across the yard to another place, and they start thriving. They take off. Environment so important for you and I. We talk about living a life in the Spirit. Putting ourselves in a place where we have, have a chance to grow. Care, consistency. It's not just set up once and let go. It's consistent. It's work. It's checking in. It's being prepared for seasons. Seasons are part of it. How do I walk through this season? What do I have to do to prepare for this season? Summer's coming. It's spring. It's winter. How do I prepare for this? As we go through times of change and of joy and of loss, how am I being prepared for this? 
And the good news is, is if you look around like, at, at fruit trees, particularly my neighbors have some really old fruit trees, and the good news is, the deeper rooted we are, like the more, more natural it becomes to produce fruit. Right? You look at these old fruits, they're like, they're like two feet away from my, my trees. There's like this big old apple tree and an orange tree, and they're just always putting out fruit. So they have deep, deep roots, they've been through some stuff. They still take some care, they take cultivation. A little different than when it's young, though. And the fruit of the Spirit, it, it begins with, with love. And however it's important to know, this is not a, a ranking. It's not a ranking system. Now, love is above all things. It just happens to be here. But in the fruit of the Spirit, it's not, a, it's not a ranking. And it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's an overall, overarching way of life. Like, it comes together. This is the fruit. This is amazing fruit, and it, and it looks like all these things. They all go together. And when we talk about love, and I'll borrow from some of, my, some of my weddings, if you've been, you've heard some of this, but love... It's just confusing in our time, in our day, and in the English language. We just throw it around flippantly. Right? We use the same word when we describe when we love coffee, or, or, we, or we love shoes, or we love, or we love beer, as we do when we say we love our parents or, or a spouse. And we're like, what is love? How do we even get our mind around it? There's so many messages every day. Maybe, maybe, no more, maybe more often in song than anywhere else we hear these things, right? Which we love. Love songs are powerful and, and huge, and lots of people write, up, write about love. Right? Love's a many splendor thing. Love lifts us up where we belong. All you need is love. Whether it's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. Or for the married folk, love is a battlefield. <laughs> right? And we connect with it in this way, but, but the Bible has its own way of talking about love. And in this passage in, in the Greek, it's the agape love. And agape love is the highest, purest form of love. It's, it's God's love for humanity. It's perfect. It's faithful. It's unconditional love. It's sacrificial. And the Bible speaks often and extensively about love, but also makes it very clear. John writes about love quite consistently, and one passage says this in 1 John three sixteen. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for our friends. This is love. It's, it's sacrificial. It's, it's, it's preferential treatment of, of others, above ourselves. Corinthians 13, of course, you know, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight evil, but rejoices with the truth, protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And here's the deal with this, because we've, you know, we've heard this, and it's a wedding passage. And, but love is patient, and so what we have to get our mind around is if it's not patient, it's, it's not love. If it's not patient, it's not love. Love is kind. So if it's not kind, if you're not being kind, if the action is not kind, it's not love. Love does not dishonor. Love, love keeps no record of wrong. It's just a good test for us to kind of put up against. Like, well, I'm good at that one, but not at that. Well, you're kind of breaking it down. Trying to understand what love looks like in your own life and how much you can give. It's like, oh, I can only give so much. Well, the call of love, is, the cost seems pretty high. We have this cat at our house that my daughter brought home out of nowhere one day. And uh, she's, she's just 19, I guess, at the time, or 20. So she, she can kind of do things like that, I guess, but it's still my house. But she came in with a cat because she was having a bad day. So she came home with the cat. And then she left for college. And she did not take the cat. And this cat comes in our room every morning between 4 and 5 a.m., meowing and like licking my neck. 
with like its sandpapery neck. And it just kind of drives us crazy because it's like too early to get up, but like it's hard to go back to sleep and it just throws everything at us every day. And Amy's like, that cat loves you so much. And I'm like, does it though? So it doesn't feel like love. It doesn't feel like love. Right? Love is, how much you're loving is a lot of times indicated how is the person receiving it. If the other person doesn't feel love, maybe you have some work to do on your love. This is a lot of our, our marriages. If you're married and you're working through relationships, oh, I don't feel love. Like, oh, I'm loving you. Well, I don't feel it. It's hard. Love's hard. It's, we, we live in sort of a conditional, conditional realm. It's emotional and difficult. But this agape love, this fruit of the Spirit that we're able to tap into, there's something deeper. You're not limited to your own abilities. There's a gift that God will allow us to tap into this highest form of love. And when you feel it and when you see it, you know it. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's one of the most beautiful things in, in, on, on the planet Earth. When Amy, Amy and I got engaged, um, you know, I don't know, like 100 years ago now. And, uh, my parents didn't know Amy. They hadn't met Amy. We were living, living in Hawaii at the time. My family's on the East Coast. And I met Amy. And we, you know, we fell in love. And I, and I, in my mind, I thought, oh, okay, at some point, like, my family will meet her. But it wasn't really working out that way. And I wasn't going to be home for a while. I was going, going overseas. And I proposed to her, and, and, which is awesome. You know, but my, my family is like, wow, really? Like, you just went away, and now there's this person we don't know, and, and you proposed to her, and like, we're happy for you, but like, who is she? And this is like, what, you know, what does she look like? And all this stuff. And I'm sending like, photos back and forth. And, but we, we made a plan. You know, we got engaged on, in early November, not Amy's birthday, and had made some plans to meet up with my parents from Hawaii. We're coming from Hawaii, meet up with my parents. Uh, who were coming in from New Jersey, we were going to meet in California at my uncle's place. My uncle lived in Santa Monica. And, you know, Amy and I are flying over from Hawaii to, to, for this week in L.A. My parents, you know, get there a little ahead of us, so they're at the airport. At the time, we come all the way to the gate. And we get off the plane, and I don't even remember if my dad greeted me, but he just looked at Amy and just started, like, crying and just hugged her for like probably a little bit of an awkwardly too long amount of time. But he just loved her. He just loved her. She didn't have to prove herself. She had to explain herself. He didn't need to see more. He said, oh, I see this is going to be my daughter. And he just loved her. My dad was so good like that. He was just a lover like that. He just loved her. My dad did love well. And I believe my dad did love well because Jesus did love really well. My dad followed Jesus. And Jesus doesn't just do love, Jesus is love. I'm going to read this passage toward the end of Jesus' time with us. And it happens to be around this, this Last Supper experience. And Jesus has a lot on his mind. Right? The, the cross is pending. He has some things he still needs to accomplish and wrap up and to explain. He's trying to spend time with his friends. He has other people to visit. And he's having this time with them and and he, and he decides at one point, he gets up to, to wash their feet. And he puts his kind of robe on, and he gets on his, on his hands and knees, and he gets out his little stool with, his, with soap, and he just washes the disciples' feet one by one, goes down the line, washes their feet. And it says, when he had washed their feet and put his outer garments and resumed his place, he, sa he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, 
nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And I think of the humility in Jesus in that moment and just the example of love that he was and is. Like to get down on, on his hands and knees and just wash these feet one by one by one. And in particular, when he got to the feet of Judas, who he knew, who he knew had ulterior motives at that meeting, who he knew he was going to betray him, but he still went and he just washed Judas' feet. And love like Jesus, that Jesus kind of love, like God, God is love, is an unfailing absolute. God himself is, is described as love. God is love. But we're not God, so it takes us a little bit of work. It takes some work for us. And this is where this idea of tapping into the Spirit, cultivating a life in the Spirit, putting ourselves in environments and places of care and work that we can tap into that agape love, that high form of love. Now the worship guys come back up. And uh, thank you, Michelle and Mike jumped in last minute. Last week we had like 10 people in the band and like this morning Noah was like, I think it's just going to be me. <laughs> but thank you, uh, you guys for jumping in. But I wonder when you be thinking about something this week. That's a huge like, oh my gosh, Jesus washed everyone's feet and... Yeah, then you watch Judas, it's like, it's massive. But that's like the bar. That's what we're talking about. That's the level of love where we're striving for and to be known by in this community. So the application they ask, the homework is, is to go and love. It's to go and love someone. Maybe outside of your ordinary uh, range. And I would even challenge you this, this week, love someone who isn't easy to love. Love someone who isn't easy for you. And that's going to take a little work, and, and you may not get an immediate return on that. Love someone that's hard for you. Love someone that maybe it's going to be hard for them. Like, that's your person. And it doesn't have to be a lifelong commitment. And you can figure out what that is. It can be an encouragement, a text, a note, a coffee, words. Maybe it's overdue. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm overdue on this. Just love someone who's kind of off your love radar. And they think, huh, that's... That's really weird that they reached out to me. I didn't think they even liked me. Like, that's your perfect person. That's your person. The person is like, whoa, weird. Why are they like, being so kind and loving? That's your person. And it's going after love. It's not just assuming it's going to happen. It's going to take a step in your own life that's going to require you to tap into the Holy Spirit. Because it's outside of your sort of average inability. It's like, oh boy, this is going to be hard. This is going to be hard to maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's saying, I love you. It's a phone call. You fill in the blank. I don't know what it is for you. Extend love. Pray about it. Dig deep. Invite God in. And then go and extend love somewhere. That's going to be hard. So God, we thank you for who you are. Uh, thank you for your story, your love, your example of love. Your tremendous just outpouring of, gosh, just never-ending grace and affection, even for a broken, washed up people. Lord, give us the strength to tap into the Spirit, uh, that we may love better, we may love well, we may love stronger and deeper and wider. And even now, as we close out in song, Lord, I press, I invite you to press someone even upon my heart, uh, where I can extend love in a, in a place that maybe was unexpected. In your name, amen.